right, thanks, y'all. Well, good morning. How are we doing? We good? Money. Ooh. All right, well, I would expect nothing less. I mean, it is a national holiday. It's the beginning of the NFL season, so it's already been a good weekend uh, in many ways. UCF won, right? So that's good. Um, my beloved JMU Dukes marched into Charlottesville and handed out a big L to the Cavaliers. That was a good thing, too. <sighs> so nice when that happens. The University of Virginia. Yeah, well. Um, hey, students, if you're here, listen, it, um, you heard that we've got a lunch for you today. That's, th- that was, you know, we're, we're really excited about that, but we told you where it was, and you don't know where that is. So um, the Commons is in the building that the, the main building you passed as you came in, that's our Ed building, and so you'll go through those big double doors, and it's on the left. We, we'll make sure that you know where to go, but you can just see a bunch of, you know, uh, first year all the way up to PhD students wandering around going like, where am I supposed to go for the food? It's that way. Um, so anyway, my name's Rick. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn it to the book of Acts. That's in the New Testament. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning as we're spending... The next several weeks, we've already done three weeks, we're doing uh, the next several weeks on this concept of what is the church supposed to be? We're, we're calling it Reimagine UPC, like reimagine what it is that we're supposed to be doing here. Because what we do here is weird. We don't like to talk about that, we don't like to mention that because uh, we, as Christians we already feel weird enough in this world, but we do need to understand that especially what we're doing here right now is incredibly odd. You don't do this anywhere, you know? I mean, you just think, like, uh, you know, if, and maybe this is you, maybe you've, you've never been in a church before, and you've come in here, and you're like, this is weird, I know. But if, you, if, you ha- if you've, like, grown up in church or whatever, I just want you to imagine uh, what it would be like to come into a place where everyone kind of stands up and sits down on cue, like, they know what's going on, they stand up, they sit down, they sing, where, I mean, this isn't a concert, so where in the world do you go where you sing? Then there's like re- reciting things, uh, people are reading from this old book every once in a while, then somebody gets up here like what I'm doing and they talk at you for a while, and then, um, and, and then, and then we sing some more, like it's weird. It's weird. Uh, and yet, for some reason, Jesus seems to doesn't just seem to. Jesus puts incredible amounts of importance on what we're doing, not because of who's doing it, because it's what he's called us to do. And so we're spending the next few weeks specifically looking at, we spent the last three looking at the church's mission, we're spending the next few looking at the church itself, what we do, how we work together, what it is that we're supposed to be as a community, things like that, okay? And this morning we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at what it is that the earliest church did as they gathered together. So if you have your place, if you've got the Bible, that's great. If not, that's okay. I'll be reading it. But go ahead and stand. That's our habit here. In honor of God's word, I'm going to be reading verses 42 down through 47. And I want to try something with you all this morning. Some of you will be familiar with this, but I, others of you aren't. So I just want to try it out, okay? When I get done, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. Okay? And what I need to hear from you, what I want you to say back, and it's, it's, an, it's an act of almost like, uh, it's an act of gratitude, is 
Thanks be to God. Okay, all right, all right. So enough of you get that. The rest of you that didn't, let me say it again. I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. You're going to repeat it. Thanks be to God. Okay? Let's try it out. See what happens. All right. This is God's word to us. And they devoted themselves, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to any or to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and general and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray together. Yes, Jesus, thanks be to you. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for you have given us your word. And even when we don't understand how, it changes us. And we just ask you to do that this morning. You would take away all the stuff that's clouding our thoughts, whether that's uh, our fantasy leagues or uh, the argument we had on the way in. Uh, Maybe it's the, the fear of the conflict that's coming, that we know is coming, or, or just the shame that comes every time we come into this place not knowing why it, why it is that we are allowed here. Jesus, would you just push all that aside? By your spirit, would you just come and preach your gospel to us? Open our hearts to receive you. And, and Lord, as we lift you up, would you draw all people to yourself? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So, there's lots of different ways to do what we're doing here. Lots of different ways to do church. I'm sure you know about this, right? There's, um, there's what's often called high church, right? High church is the, the um, you know, it's like robes and printed liturgy and organs and you know, smells and bells and all that, all that fun stuff. That's high church. Some of you, if you grew up in church, maybe grew up in a high church, right? Then there's... Um, that's contrasted with low church, of course, which is flip-flops and Hawaiian shirts and um, dudes making jokes on the stage, right? So that's, that's low church. I, I guess we're lower. We'll, we'll call it that. Then there's, uh, you know, uh, then there's like the seeker-sensitive thing, which means you're trying to get people comfortable with being in church. You're not confronting them at all. There's even a church back where I came from before I came here um, in the city that I, was, that I planted a church in where... Um, they did like an hour of singing, and then they broke for donuts, and then they came back for what they called Christianity, which is like a sermon-ish thing. That was, that's a thing, right? Uh, there's even cowboy church. Are you aware of this? The nearest one is in Leesburg, by the way. I googled it. Uh, cowboy church. It's, it's amazing. Um, there's lots of different ways to do this. But is anything that calls itself the church actually the church? Or is there like something that we have to do? Is there something that we've been told to do or something, some way that we've been told to be even? Is there something to that? And so as we reimagine UPC, what I want to do is look at what the non-negotiables are, okay? As always in your worship guide, there's, a, there's an outline if you'd like to take notes. If not, don't worry about it. But let's begin. We're going to look at, at, at three things. We're going to look at the corporate life of the church. We're going to look at the public life of the church, and then we're going to look at the outward life, okay? So let's begin with the corporate life, and specifically 
let's just look down at verse 42 for their practices. Okay, so when I, when I talk about the corporate life of the church, what I mean is the church as it is gathered. In other words, like what we're doing right now, as gathered. The church is not a building, right? The church is not a, uh, a facility. The church is a people. And, and when the people are gathered, we are called the church. In the, in the, um, the word for that in the, in, in the New Testament, in the original, is, is ecclesia. It's, it's, the, it's a gathering. It's called the assembly, okay? And so um, that, is, that is what we are. We are an assembled people. And, and so Luke, who's the writer of this, this, this book, this book of Acts, kind of talks to us a little bit about what the, the life of the church gathered is like. Look down at verse 42. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, okay? So let's, let's look at these things. First, I want us to notice that word devoted. That word devoted is interesting because both because of what it means and the form in which it takes, Okay, so what it means basically is being committed to. I think we all get that. So we have a group of people who are committed to something, but the, the, the form, and when I say form, what I mean is grammar, and I know, I know, I know. Most of us wish we just left that behind in ninth grade, but it is important, okay? And, and the grammar of this, is it's in a form in the original language in which, in which it was written. That means it was something continual, something that keeps on going, in other words, it's not something they once did. It's like, well, they committed themselves at one point in time to these things. It's something that they were doing over and over and over. They were continually committed to, continually devoted to these things. Okay? And so they were given four, four things. The first is the apostles' teaching. Now, if, if, you're not, if you're not from a church background, the idea of first, the word apostle is weird. Secondly, why them and not somebody else? So let me, let me kind of explain this. This is actually a great question and has a, a, a ton of impact on us today. So to say someone is an apostle, they, that's a kind of in this way, because if you're reading the New Testament, there's a couple of different ways in which that word is used. In its most basic form, it just means someone that is sent to go do something. And so anyone that is sent to go do something is technically an apostle with a little a. However, when we're talking about the apostles, as Luke's using it, as Jesus used it at different times. We're talking about a specific group of people. These are, these are guys that, that Jesus himself kind of appointed. He called them out and said, you are my apostles, my specific sent ones. And it's, it's connected to this, this Old Testament form, or this Old Testament concept, okay? And this Old Testament concept, for you kind of Bible nerds, is the idea of a Sheliak. And I'm not going to spell it, Okay? Phonetic, do your best, all right? So the Sheliak, and what that meant was someone who is sent from someone else to speak on their behalf with their authority. They are representing a king, and so they could legally represent him. So the apostles were sent into the world to represent King Jesus, which means that their teaching is given like his authority. It's inspired by his spirit. And so this is why um, in another place, another New Testament writer by the name of Paul will call the teaching of the prophets and the apostles the foundation of the church, okay? And what they were teaching about was the finished work of Jesus. They were working out, and you can see this even in their, their writings in the New Testament, they are working out what it is that Jesus did in space and time and the implications of that on our day-to-day. -day. Now, what does that have to do with us, right? I mean, these guys have been dead for like 2,000 years. Well, the New Testament is a collection of apostolic teaching. In other words, it's a co collection of the teachings of the apostles. 
And so what Luke is telling us is that the church devotes itself to the teaching of the apostles, which is for us given in the Bible. In other words, what this means is a church, to be the church, has to be centered on the Bible. You don't care or you shouldn't care. I don't care. No one needs to care about the opinions of whoever it is that stands up here, mine or otherwise. I'll be honest with you, they're not, they're not that impressive, my opinions. It doesn't matter. If it's not from the Bible, if it's not from the scriptures, it doesn't matter. For the life of the church, all that matters is God's word. So they're devoting themselves, they're continually committing themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Okay, that's the first one. The second one, it says they were devoted to the fellowship. Now, what's interesting is that each one of these things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, all of it, well, even there I messed it up, the prayers, all of them have the, the definite article in front of them, which kind of, it, it means we're not just talking about, when we're talking about the fellowship, we're not talking about fellowship in whatever that means, okay? For most of us, that's a hall that you do, you know, pastries and coffee in. Fellowship is more than just a gathering, okay, when, it's, when, it, when we're talking about it here. It's talking about the fellowship. Here's what that means. Basically, this means a new way to understand community. This thing we call the church, we take it for granted. We probably shouldn't. As a matter of fact, I know we shouldn't. This thing we call the church was groundbreaking in the first century. And here's why. In the first century, not unlike today, you you gathered with people like you, right? You gathered, you know, guys hung out with guys, women hung out with women, Romans hang out with Romans. They didn't hang out with Scythians or barbarians. The rich hung out with the rich. The poor hung out with the poor. And those kind of, all of these different disparate groups never meshed, except in one place, the church. In fact, the entire reason that we today are called Christians is because the non-Christian world was trying to figure out how to identify this weird group of people. Because they couldn't identify them by what they normally did. They would say, well, the, you know, the poor over there, or the Romans over there, the whatever. But they're like, but this group, they cross all these boundaries. What are we supposed to call them? Well, apparently we call them Christians. <laughs> and so that's what they did. So the church is a new community ordered around what people believed about Jesus. And it, and it transcended all these other kind of distinctions and definitions. It, it, And by transcending, what I don't mean is that it just eliminated them. It just made them far less important. It's far less important what you think about politics. When Jesus, who is the ultimate, is the one uniting you, right? It's far less important which Florida college team you follow. Believe me. If Jesus is the one who unites you. It's way more important the devote, being devoted to the fellowship means being committed to one another in the church in a way that is more than your family of origin, more than your political leanings, more than your ideologies. Thirdly, they're committed to the breaking of bread. Now, scholars will tell you that what, is, what Luke is talking about here is not just like a potluck, okay, which is, you know, fine and good and, and something that churches do. We're kind of known for it, but it's not what they're talking about here. The breaking of bread is not so much about just kind of sharing any, so any, any meal. It's about a particular meal. It's about the Lord's Supper. It's about communion, the sacrament. 
Now, some of us are thinking, like, why, why does that get lumped into this, right? What's the big deal? And see, I would I kind of argue that if, if, if that's what you're asking, it's probably because you've come from a tradition that um, reduced the importance of the Lord's Supper. Being devoted to the breaking of bread in this way means that in, in a similar way to being devoted to the apostles' teaching, the early church is devoted to this sacrament, the, the Lord's Supper. And that is because it is a vital part of the Christian's life. It's a seal of the gospel. It's the way that the, uh, the gospel is, our belief in the gospel is strengthened in us, right? Uh, for those of you who are kind of theology people, the, the father of our particular tradition, John Calvin, used to say, I know this is probably going to rub some of us a little wrong, but that's all right. It used to say that any time the word is preached, there also should be the celebration of the sacrament. And I think that's to some degree what Luke is talking about here. They are com- continually committed to this thing. And lastly, they're devoted to the prayers. Now, notice again, he doesn't say prayer. That would be pretty cool. They're continually devoted to prayer. No, the prayers. And, and again, you're like making a lot out of this definite article. Well, I am because, one, because it's very, very weird to see it in this way. But what he probably means, what Luke probably means when he says the prayers, is a liturgical idea. And liturgy is just a, a way of talking about um, an order in which you do um, your public worship. Every church, no matter where you've come from, has a liturgy. Some of them write it down, some of them don't. But everyone has one. Okay? And you know this. As a matter of fact, every time Christians gather together, we have some sense of this is what we're supposed to do. We're going to, okay, we're having a public meeting. Well, we, we, we should sing a few songs. And then we're going to have a prayer, and then somebody's going to give a talk, and maybe we have a couple songs afterwards to respond to it. That is, friends, a liturgy. Okay? So when, it, when he's talking about the prayers, he's talking about probably some early church way of, like, this is the way we worship. Okay? These are the marks of the church gathered. Gathering together to hear the apostles' teaching, to celebrate our unity in Jesus and our community, to partake of the table of the Lord and to worship together. Those are the marks. Those are the practices. But it's not just the practices that marked them out. It's also almost a complete perspective change. Look down at verse 43. This is where things get weird, right? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostle. Now, if you've, if you've been in a Presbyterian church in a long time, as soon as I said signs and wonders, you started to get that little like twinge in the back of your neck and thought, I need to leave now. Like something weird is about to happen, okay? Just breathe. It's okay, all right? These things happened. These things happened. We just need to understand why, okay? So let me take us back to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus did, did crazy things, did he not? Rose the dead, healed the sick, multiplied food, like crazy stuff. Jesus did not do that crazy stuff simply to show off. Nor did he do that crazy stuff because he needed to show that he was God. I know some of y'all read the Bible enough to know that like, there's some crazy, crazy stuff going on in the Old Testament too, right? Like Elijah raised the dead, didn't mean he was God. So what's going on? Well, when Jesus came, he's, he's preaching this message. He's talking about the kingdom of God, the gospel, right? Repent and believe the gospel, he says. And what is that? It's that God had finally come to reclaim his world. That he's going to put sin away. He's going to deal with our personal betrayal of him and all of the outflow of that. And what was the outflow of that? Well, death entered the world. 
Death entered the world. Evil got its grip. Like all of these things started. And so when Jesus came, he started not only saying what he was doing, but he started showing it too. And he began pushing darkness back, pushing evil back, pushing sickness and death back as a foretaste of what he was doing. They signified what he was doing, and it proved it to be true. Okay, so let's apply that to the apostles. Again, let me note, Luke does not say that Christians were doing these things. Right? I mean, look down there. He says, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Okay? They're being done through the apostles. Okay? That means this is a unique thing. It's a unique office. They're preaching Christ. They're talking about the forgiveness of sins. They're talking about the, the kind of the gospel's way of transforming us and, and through us the world. And he's, he's talking about the coming of the kingdom, God's work to reverse the effects of sin, and then they're showing that to be true with healings and such. Okay? And this is tied to the apostles. Why? Because they're the unique voice of Jesus. They bear his authority. Okay? But then there's this common care. Look down at verse 44. It says the believers were together and they had all things in common. Okay, so here's what this means. Remember one of the, a second ago I said one of the ways that this community was diverse was socioeconomically, right? Now, we take things for granted, both because we're Americans and most of us because most of the people in this room do exist in a particular socioeconomic bracket. And in that, we, we take for granted something like what we call upward mobility, right? Don't we? You work hard enough. You do the thing, you, you take care of things, you're responsible, you save, you invest, you do all this stuff, and then you, you can move up in your financial status. That was not something that anyone in the ancient world would have ever understood or recognized as possible. In fact, it was, in most cases, it was understood that if you were in this particular socioeconomic bracket, it's either because you did something right way long ago or something wrong probably in a different life. Or even better, that like, you're, just, you're just where you are because you're just not as good as the other people. And so here is a group of people that cross those boundaries. And one of the main ways that it was seen in the early church was, was cross these socioeconomic boundaries. Okay? So listen, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are united to him. Right? We talk about that all the time. United to Jesus means what's true of him becomes true of you. But it's not just true of you, is it? You're not just united to you, are you? You're united to everyone else who's united to Jesus. In other words, what, what you used to use to identify you isn't the most important thing to identify you anymore. Now it's Jesus. And you know who else gets identified as Jesus? Everyone else who's placed their faith in Jesus. And so we are united to lots of different kinds of people, united to lots of different groups of, of, of people. It isn't that the church is this group of people who just agrees with us or agrees with you. It's that you are one with them. We need to make this clear. The church of Jesus Christ is not a voluntary society. It's not like the Kiwanis Club or the Rotary Club. Um, in, where, where I came from, in the small town of Virginia that I came from, it was the Moose, right? The Moose Lodge. Because you could bring your own liquor. That was why everyone loved it. Like, yeah, you just bring it in and blah, blah, that was. But you would just go in, you paid a fee, you were a voluntary. And if someone upset you, made you mad, you're like, ah, 
I'm done with you. And you walked out. Why? Because they're voluntary association. There's nothing that connected you to those people except that you just wanted to be. The church of Jesus Christ, we're connected to lots of people we don't want to be. Right? It's more than that. This unity transcends money, it transcends status, it transcends race, it transcends all other things. So these folks had all things in common. Now, Luke is going to explain that more in a second. For our purpose, what I want to note here is that this was part of their corporate life. It was not an option. It wasn't an option. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm this much a part of the church, but these people are just really into it. It's like, no, this is... This is part of what it means. They were devoted to these things. There were these validating works done, and their stuff was put to the use of their community. Now, before we move off this, I need to make an explicit connection. You cannot read this passage and come away thinking that the church is one option among many for your spiritual flourishing. I know, I know, some of y'all are just already arguing with me. Hear me out. So often today, we view the local church. Notice, notice I just said local church. Because some of us, some of us we go, well, I, I don't see the church. I use a big C with that, and that's much broader than the local church. But they're talking about the local church church. And so often today we view the local church as just part of a larger smorgasbord of opportunities, including other local churches, right? Like, well, I do community over here. I have my Christian community over here. And then I, do my, my, I get my worship fix over at this place. And then I get my teaching. Well, really, I, I do that online because he's way better than the guy at my church, which is true, right? Like, yes, my local church is fine. I go there once in a while. Listen, you and I were not made to be consumers like that. That is not how we were made to flourish. We were not made to flourish by going, you know what? I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of this and I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of this and jumble it all up and I won't be committed to any of it. It's really awesome. And when that guy makes me mad, then I can go over here to this person. That's called consumerism. That is not Christianity. Right? I am, I am old enough to remember the beginning of Burger King's Have It Your Way. Right? Some of y'all remember this, right? Like it was the big thing. You couldn't ask for special stuff at McDonald's. They put those nasty little onions on your burger whether you wanted them or not. But at Burger King, I didn't have to have onions or tomatoes or whatever. I could have it my way. That is awesome for a Whopper. That is terrible. Terrible for anything approaching a human relationship. The local church is God's agent for our flourishing. It is not God's agent for our entertainment, and it's not God's agent for our ultimate satisfaction. That is Jesus. Listen, UPC will disappoint you. I will, if I haven't already, disappoint you. I wish I could say that it wouldn't be the case. It'd be really nice. Jesus is the only one that is there for our ultimate satisfaction. 
The local church is God's agent for our flourishing. There may be other ministries to help supplement what we have in our church, but they cannot supplant it. They can supplement, but they can't supplant it, okay? And if they have in our own lives, we need to work on that. Now, that's the corporate life. Now let's look at the public life. Let's flesh out all of this having things in common. Look down at verse 45. They're selling their possessions, belongings, distributed them to any as had need. Now, some of us can read this, especially, and it doesn't matter which particular brand of the spectrum politically you're on, we can read this and think this is some kind of like proto-socialism, right? Um, and either go, yay, or that can't be right. It's either one of the two, but let me, I, it's not that at all, so follow me. Okay, first, again, we're going back to the form of some of these words, selling and distributing, okay? It, these words are in a form in the, in in the original, that means something that was continually going on in the past. Okay, so here's, here's why that matters so much. When they became Christians, when you became a Christian in the early church, what you did not have to do is therefore take all of your possessions, sell them, and come give them to the church leadership. No, I'm really saying that. You didn't have to do that, and you don't have to do that today. That's not what they're talking about. Okay? It wasn't as if they no longer had any property. Let me say this very clearly. The Bible is fine with personal property. There's lots of dudes in the Bible who have lots of stuff. That's not the important thing. It was that those who had stuff, when there were others who were in need, would take that stuff, some of it, they would liquidate it, and then they would be able to help care for those who had needs. Okay? Do you see the difference? The difference, it's not that, is the Bible okay with you having stuff or not? The issue is, whose stuff do you think it is? Right? The Bible's fine with you having stuff. As long as you understand that that is, your, that is something you are stewarding, not demanding. The issue is that when needs arise in this new community called the church, the needs of others superseded us having our stuff. Okay, so what does that mean for us? Well, it's hard, right? Because we're Americans. We believe in bootstraps and all that jazz. I think it's what we do. What it means is that we have a corporate responsibility to our community, the local church first, to care for those among us who have needs. In other words, your stuff isn't your stuff. It's God's stuff. My stuff isn't my stuff. It's God's stuff. And perhaps he gave it to me. Perhaps he gave it to you so that you could use it to care for others. Right? Because we're committed to, devoted to, this community. This community. Okay? The next thing in their public life is their daily rhythms. Look down at verse 46. So they're hanging out in temple courts or breaking bread in homes. Now, it's most likely that these folks are attending to the teaching of the apostles in the temple courts. Why? Because that's just where, when you lived in Jerusalem in the first century and you're Jewish, that's where you'd go. Right? Remember, they didn't have church buildings. Most of these folks didn't have houses that were big enough to house a number of people. They went to the temple courts. That's where they wouldn't participate in the sacrifices. They'd go there and the apostles would teach and they'd, and they'd listen. This was kind of something that they were doing day by day. The breaking of bread here, though, because it says they, and they broke bread in one another's homes. Like, oh, so Rick, they're going home and doing the Lord's Supper together. No, actually, this is different. There's no definite article in this one, right? It is different, and scholars will tell you, like, hey, this, this is 
it's so close to the, this other one with this key difference that it must be a difference. This is talking about sharing life, eating with one another. Okay, so let me, let me let this sink in. Daily, people, and probably not all of them, it's not like the entire church was, it, it's like, you know, some of us grew up in those contexts, right? You grew up in a church, and every time the church was open, Daddy said, it's time to go, we're, we're there. It's not what they're talking about here. Daily, you had people coming together to hear the word preached, and then they're spending time in one another's homes, okay? Okay, so what? So what does this mean? Well, in terms of principles, this means the life of this new community, this, this new thing that they call the church, is centered on two things, worship and hospitality. It's worship, gathering together to worship, and then hanging out with hospitality. Do you see that? Like the worship of God, the prayers, the word, the breaking of bread, then leads to hospitality with one another. Why? Well, listen, when the work of Jesus begins to work into your heart, when it begins to go deep and dig in, hospitality is something that just begins to take over. And why is that? Because the gospel of God is about receiving the grace of God in Jesus. And that moves us out in hospitality towards others. It's like, it's, it's as if, like, well, even, even the Apostle Paul said it later in one of his letters. He says, welcome one another just as Christ welcomed you. It's like as if, like, because I have been accepted and brought into the household of Jesus, not because of anything in me, like there's nothing in me that would move him towards me. He just, he said, come and be a part of this. Like, if that could be true for me, then, then I can bring the others into my life too and, and bring them in for hospitality to receive or to be received. Okay? So that's the corporate life, that's the public life, and now it works itself out into the outward life. Look down at verse 47. As they're gathered and eating together, Luke tells us they're praising God and having the favor of all the people. Now the first one should be pretty easy to understand, right? So listen close. If you've been rescued by Jesus, and I know not everyone in this room is a Christian. That's totally cool. So you, you get to listen in on this. But if you've been rescued by Jesus, if you were aware that you were a sinner in need of grace, like that you had betrayed God, it was not just something you did, but it was something deep. It was something in you. And that there was nothing you could do to not only get him to, to reach out to you, but even kind of merit his kind of affection. But that purely by grace, Jesus receives you and loves you. Man, that, what other option is there than praise? Well, there, there are a couple, but let me suggest maybe if if that's not true of us this morning, then there's probably a couple things going on. The first is that you might be in a period of lament. Lament is a, is a, a, a churchy word. It, it means a, a time of like sorrow and um, kind of just uh, crying out for change. Right? And that may be because things in your life are, are just really hard and you're struggling you know, like a lot of the Psalms do to, to kind of struggling to lift our eyes past our circumstances. That's really hard sometimes. And that's completely understandable, right? There's a, an entire, like the Psalms are in the middle of the Bible, right? And there's an entire category of these called lament Psalms. And their entire point is to help us give word to those times when we're struggling in that way and to help us lift our eyes because it's so, so hard, Okay, so that's the first possibility. The second possibility is, frankly, that we've just forgotten what it is that Jesus did for us. And 
this is really common, so don't beat yourself up if, if, if that's where you're at. Um, we so often begin to think, as Christians, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you've seen some change in your life, it is so easy for us to begin to think that God is lucky to have me. Like, look at all I do. You know, I have people in my home. I go to worship. See, Rick's saying all this stuff. I already do it. Like, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, I share the gospel with my coworkers or with people on campus. Like, I, I do this. This is what I'm all about. Or we begin to believe that our efforts are what keeps God's favor, right? Which is harder to see when we're doing it and easier to see when we blow it and think that God's not happy with me anymore. But those things don't lead us to praise at all. What leads us to praise is the realization that there is nothing in me that moves God towards me. There's nothing in me, nothing that makes him love me. There is nothing in me that merits his attention, better yet his forgiveness. Because if there was, I wouldn't need his forgiveness in the first place. Wouldn't need it. Instead, for a reason known only to God, he moved towards me. Very broken and very needy dude. And he saved me out of pure grace. My need was tremendous and still is. And he met it in Jesus. And that, that will lead to praise because what, what else? I, I, have no, there's no, I have no other way <laughs> to explain what has happened. So it leads to praise, but it also leads to the favor of all the people. Why would it do that? I mean, think about that. All the people means beyond the church. Like, why would you have the favor of all the people? Well, let me suggest it's probably because they were loving all the people. Like, they're not building their walls, caring only for their own, making sure that they're taken care of. And that's it. Their, their work of care naturally extended to those beyond their number. In fact, we know this to be the case because there was a, a Roman emperor by the name of Julian called the apostate because he was, he was raised as a Christian and turned away from it, wanted, wanted to bring back paganism. And he wrote this letter in which he was incredibly ticked off because the, the Christians, were, they, were, they weren't just caring for their poor like, they, they care for their poor and they care for ours. What kind of a chance are we going to have against that? So we know this is what they were doing. We know it not just because the Bible says it, because our, our opponents, our enemies, the people who didn't like us were saying it too. And so, of course, that's going to lead to having the favor of all the people. People in general, I'm not saying all people, but people in general don't hate on those who care well right? The point here is that the work of Jesus in us moves our hearts upward towards God, and it moves our hands out towards others. And if, 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 that, isn't, if that isn't you right now, and I know, like, we, we have different seasons or different phases or times where that's easier or times where that's less easy. If that isn't you right now, if you're consumed with what you are getting or what you have to protect yourself from, let me suggest that we need to return to what God has done for us, first and foremost. Let that move you towards compassion and grace for those that are letting you down. Let that move you in compassion and grace and reaching out to those that are nothing like you. Okay? 
And lastly, and this is the most amazing thing, is this adding to their number thing. Look down at verse 47. He says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I know this strikes some of us as weird. And it strikes some of us as weird because in our culture, we don't like the idea of conversion, right? Conversion seems culturally imperialist or, um, or uh, something other, something similar that, that we have decided is evil. Um, we don't like the idea of conversion. It's like it's okay to believe what you believe just as long as you don't push it on anyone else. But here, though, Luke is highlighting this idea of new conversions, new Christians. And, and here's why. Listen. If, just if, if Jesus really is the king of the world, right? If he really is the one and only way to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven by God, the God that we're accountable to, right? Then to not see others have an opportunity to partake in that, to be part of that, that's not loving, that's hateful, right? You withhold that, that's called that's called hate, not love. And the point here is that when the world sees hearts engaged in praise to God and hands engaged in cares for others, it gives credence to the gospel. Let me explain that. Our world is not the first skeptical world, right? But we do live in a culture that's a little skeptical. You are a little skeptical, right? Let's be honest. When we hear a news story, what's the first thing we ask? Well, where did that come from? Right? Because we don't believe it. Or we're deciding whether or not to believe it. If it came from a, from a source I like or I trust, then I'll believe it. If it didn't, I'll disregard it. Like, that's, that's generally the way we look at things. Okay? So what makes, what is it that makes such good news, like the gospel, believable? What is it that makes it plausible? It's seeing what it does in people. It's seeing what it does in people. This is why, and I've said this a, a, a bunch of times, there's a theologian by the name of Leslie Newbigin. He calls the church a plausibility structure for the gospel. Okay? What he means is, is that seeing the people live out what they say actually brings credence to those who don't believe. They go, you know, that, maybe that kind of makes sense, right? Do you see that? Like, If people's experience of you is that you're self-righteous, self-sufficient, arrogant, self-protected of, of you and maybe your kids, if that's their experience of you, do you honestly think they're going to believe you when you say that you hold to a gospel that is unmerited, freely given, and totally secure? Do you honestly think that like, if, if people's experience of the church is that we are backbiting one another, we're, we're petty with one another, we're, we, we're constantly posturing to see, I look better than, than so-and-so, I'm, I'm doing better in my faith, and so, like, we're not willing to own the fact that we're broken when we get into a group of people that we consider our closest people, that we can't say, guys, pray for me, I blew it really bad today. And we can't say that because we're scared of what they're going to do. Because what they're going to do is probably bad. Like, if, if that's our community, of course nobody believes what we say. Would you? Listen, the grace of Jesus for you is that you, it's okay for you to not be okay, is it? It doesn't seem okay for you to not be okay. Why should I believe that? But see, in the early church, they're adding to their number day by day. Why? 
My guess would be because you can see the effects of that gospel in the lives of the people that are going on. Their, their lives are totally changed. They're, they're worshiping God and they're, they're praising him for the grace of God in their life. They're willing to say, you know what, my brother or sister who's, who's struggling right now, this thing that I really love to enjoy, the stuff that I have, it doesn't matter as much as them. I'm going to sell it. I'm gonna, why? Because my reward's in Jesus. All of this stuff is gravy. It's fine. Like, they can, they can share life, they can, they can partake in the sacrament, they can care for others. In other words, they've been totally turned right side out. And they go, something happened here, because that's not normal. People came to Jesus daily within the church because church made a real impact in the lives of these people. They cared for others in their number, across social barriers. They praised God no matter their circumstances because of the grace that was given to them. They had favor with outsiders, which implies, by the way, that they had relationships with outsiders. Hard to have favor with people you don't know, right? And they loved them well. When outsiders see that, what are they supposed to think? What is it that moves someone to tell the truth about themselves, but to also praise the God who forgives them without shame or penance? What does that? It's weird. What is it that moves people to marginalize the divisions that are just so natural in us? Right? So natural, those divisions. What is it that moves people to care for others outside their little faith circle? I suggest it is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. It isn't just an intellectual thing. It's a gospel that changes us from the inside out. Would you pray with me? Lord, if this is what we are to be, have mercy on us. Because though there are pieces of this that we can say we are, we are working towards and working on, we know that there is much work to be done in us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do that work. We are insufficient for it. do that work in this church, that UPC might be a place that is just recognized as a community that can tell the truth about themselves, trusting in Jesus, that loves others well, that cares for one another well, where it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way forever because the grace of God does change us. Form us into that community, Lord. We need you. We desperately need you. We ask in Christ's name, amen.